Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, For God So Loved the World. All right, so during the first century, you need to know, if you're new to the Bible, that there was a huge barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles, a racial and cultural wall that was high and thick, divided the Jews, the monotheistic Jews, who believed and worshiped in the one and only true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the polytheistic Gentiles who worshiped many false gods. There was this high and thick wall between the Jews who lived by the law of Moses, therefore had a very high ethical standard for their lives, and the Gentiles, many of whom, quite frankly, regularly engaged in shameful, degrading, immoral acts. And so what you gotta understand as we approach chapter 10 today in the book of Acts is that the church is predominantly Jewish at this point in the book. And so because of that, this wall between the Jews and the Gentile is gonna make the church's mission all the more difficult. The risen Lord Jesus Christ, after he was raised from the dead, the risen Christ said this to his Jewish disciples. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's called the Great Commission. And so the risen Christ tells his Jewish early followers, I want you to go into how many nations, you tell me? All nations, and I want you to make followers of me in all nations, not just Israel, but all nations. And the risen Christ also said to his early Jewish followers, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, check this out, in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so the early Jewish followers to be Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem, that's very Jewish by the way, and all Judea, that's also very Jewish, but uh uh-oh, now this is kinda hard. He also wants us to be witnesses, they would say, in Samaria. And you remember how difficult that was back in Acts chapter eight because the Lord is saying, I want you to be my witnesses to those people to the north who are the descendants of interracial marriages that took place between the ancient Israelites and other pagan religions and people. And so that was a big barrier. But not only that, he's saying, I want you to be my witnesses. Look at the last line at the bottom of the screen. I want you to be my witnesses to the what? You tell me. The end of the earth. Well, who lives out there? (laughs) Who lives at the end of the world? Gentiles. And to the Jewish mind in the first century, that would be like, ugh, right? Roman, Greek, barbarian idolaters who are involved in all of these, as I said before, Uh, immoral, sexually immoral acts who bow down to false gods and who consider um, certain meats to be clean and they eat all these meats that the Jews are saying, no, 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 this is unclean food. And so because of the huge wall between the Jews and the Gentiles, ladies and gentlemen, the Great Commission was a monumental task. The attitude again is, we'll stay over here in our little group where we're comfortable and you guys just stay over there. And again, huge barrier. How in the world would the Great Commission 
ever become accomplished. Well, how many of you guys believe that we have a God and nothing's too hard for him? Nothing's too hard for God. And hence we have the beautiful chapter, and it is beautiful. The beautiful chapter of Acts chapter 10. This chapter contains the story of how God moved in history in order to reach the Gentiles. And self-righteous people, some self-righteous people may say, well, why in the world would God do that? Why in the world does God want to meet, you know, reach those idolatrous uh, pagans who in, 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 are involved in all these gross, immoral actions? Well, well, here's a good reason why. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, what's the word? Believes. In him, in Jesus, should not perish, but have eternal life. The reason that God wanted to reach the Gentiles is because God loved the world. And the reason that he still wants to reach all people today is because he still loves the whole world. And ladies and gentlemen, just like the Jews had to be willing to leave their comfort zone in order to engage and interact with people who thought differently than they and acted differently than they, so we as Christians have to be willing to do the same thing. We have to be willing to leave our comfort zones in order to interact. I want you guys to say the word interact. And engage, please say the word engage. People who are different than us. Why? Why is that important? So they have an opportunity to hear about this God who loves them so much. And so what I love about Acts chapter 10 is that Peter raises his hand and says, I'll, I'll do that. I volunteer. I'll leave my comfort zone. I'll go interact and engage with people who think differently than me. I'll go interact and engage with people who live differently than me. And God says, I see that hand. And God's gonna use Peter to bust through the big, tall, fat, dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so we're gonna pick it up today in verse one of Acts 10. So if you're looking at Acts 10, one, just say amen. amen. And now everybody look at me. This is why it's so important. I know I say this a lot, that you bring your Bibles to church, at least your Bible on your phone because this is what we do at Calvary. We actually believe that this is God's word and we should be studying it every single week. And so Acts chapter 10, verse one, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. All right, so let's see where we are geographically before we go any further. And so if you see the town of Caesarea on the Mediterranean Sea, just say amen. amen. And then you go 30 miles or so south, and you have another little town on the sea. If you ever go to Israel, we'll take you there. It's called Joppa. And that's where Peter's hanging out is Simon the Tanner's house. We'll talk about that a little later. But in Caesarea, there lived a centurion and his name was Cornelius. Cornelius had many men under his charge. You need to know that where we are in the Bible in the first century, the Roman military was the most powerful force on the face of the earth. And so the Roman military was made up of many legions. One Roman legion had about 
thousand soldiers, sometimes more. And every Roman legion was divided into 10 cohorts or regiments. One regiment contained 500 soldiers. And so 10 regiments times 500 soldiers equals the 5,000 soldiers of a Roman legion. Every Roman legion also had 60 centuries. For every century, there was 80 to 100 soldiers. And so each century was led by a centurion. That means that Cornelius, one of the main characters in our study today, the centurion had at least 80 to 100 men under his charge. Cornelius was a leader, a leader of men. Cornelius was brave. Cornelius, um, this guy was courageous, and he led the Italian cohort, the Italian regiment, which was charged to keep peace in this area of the Roman Empire, occupied Israel. And all that's great, but what I really wanna draw your attention to is that Cornelius was way more than just a centurion. Look at verse two again. It says in verse two that he was a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Wow. And so Cornelius was not like most Gentiles in the Roman Empire that day. Uh, Cornelius was what's called a God-fearer. The Jews would call um, certain Gentiles God-fearers. He wasn't a complete Jewish proselyte. No, this guy was a God-fearer. He was a Gentile who believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's in occupied Israel, Roman Empire ruling over Israel, and this guy, we don't know what happened in his life, but this guy decides, I'm gonna reject the polytheism of the Roman Empire, and I'm gonna accept the monotheism of Judaism. And it says that he feared God, he gave alms to the people, he gave his money, he prayed continually to the God of Israel. And so what what was this guy? This guy was a devoutly religious Gentile, a devoutly religious man. Now you would think the story would end right there in verse two, because everybody knows that devoutly religious people all have eternal life, right? Who said no? You're right. Praise God for one person who's right this afternoon. Ladies and gentlemen, please hear this. Cornelius was a devoutly religious people But that did not mean that he had eternal life. Our story doesn't end with verse two because Cornelius needed Jesus. You see, even though Cornelius was religious, he was still a lost sinner who needed a savior. Please hear me. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. Please get this because we have so many in our country devoutly religious people and they're not saved. And people will say, come on, Pastor Mike, how can you say this? How can you say Cornelius was lost? We just read it. He feared God. He gave alms to the people. He prayed continually to the God of Israel. Surely this guy was saved. Well, if he was saved, then why in the world is God gonna send Peter in the second half of chapter 10 to share the gospel with him? The reason God is gonna send Peter to share the gospel with him is because even though Cornelius was devoutly religious, he was still a lost sinner and he needed a savior. Cornelius needed salvation and salvation can, be only, can only be found in one name. Yeah, see, 
Peter already talked about this in Acts chapter four. We already covered it, but by way of review, Peter in another sermon said, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Pretty clear, right? And so there's only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. You say, that's so intolerant. That's so, you're such a bigot. You're so narrow-minded. Well, let me just tell you, the reason that Jesus is the only way is because he's the only one who's God, who was made flesh, God became a man, and went to a cross, and hung half naked, and paid for our sins, and rose again the third day. Nobody else did that, and that's why he's the only way. Period. He's the only way. And so Cornelius needed that message. And so if you're devoutly religious, that's great. Praise the Lord, God sees that. But now it's time to put your trust in Christ, the only name by which we can be saved. Verse three says, now about the ninth hour of the day, so 3 p.m., Cornelius clearly uh, saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in, what's the word? Terror. Now everybody look at me. Okay, this is a Roman centurion, a leader of 80 to 100 men. This is a battle-hardened leader. And yet when he sees an angel of God, he is in terror. More proof from the Bible that the pictures of little angels in your bathroom have nothing to do with the scriptures. The little fat angels with the little wings. That has nothing to do with the Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, if we saw a real angel this afternoon, we'd all pee our pants. <laughs> they're real and they're awesome. So awesome, this centurion is so afraid and he goes, what is it, Lord? He doesn't know what in the world to say. And the angel said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended, look at this, as a memorial to God. See, God, God saw his good works and God was blessed by this guy. Now his good works couldn't save him, that's why he's gonna send Peter, but God still saw it. Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner. Um, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to where? Joppa, all right? So he has the angelic uh, visitation, Cornelius does. So he picks three Gentiles. One of them is a Roman soldier. And he says, hey guys, I want you to head south, go on a trip, 30 miles. I want you to go to Joppa and I want you to find this guy, Peter, that the angel told me about. Now before we go any further, I had a thought that occurred to me on Thursday when I was writing this message and I decided to take a couple minutes and talk to you about it. Here's the question. Why didn't the angel just share the gospel with Cornelius? An angel in Caesarea just appeared to him and said, Cornelius, and he was all afraid. How come the angel just didn't share the gospel? Why does he go to go down and send for Peter and for Peter to come back and share the gospel with him? Well, here's why. 
because holy angels have never sinned and therefore they have never experienced salvation in Christ. But Peter had sinned and Peter had experienced salvation in Jesus Christ. And so he could relate to Cornelius. Have you, have you ever heard the saying, it takes one to know one? You see, that's why. Unless we're talking about Revelation chapter 14 and the end of the world and the second half of the tribulation when an eternal angel will fly around the earth and proclaim you know, the eternal gospel because desperate times call for desperate measures. Unless we're talking about an anomaly like that, normally God does not use angels to spread the gospel. Why? Because they're holy Angels, they can't, this holy angel couldn't come into Cornelius's room and say, Cornelius, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That's not true. He never sinned. He's a holy angel. But Peter could share that. Peter could relate to uh, Cornelius. And so Peter is the one God is gonna send. God uses men and women who have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, and who can relate to sinners to spread the gospel. And that's our job. That's what we're called to do. You guys know lots of people, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your relatives, whatever. And so yes, praise God, live the Christian life in front of them. Yes, praise God, live a life where you respect people and love people. But at some point, God's gonna open a door and you and I have got to speak and talk about the Lord Jesus and his love for them, amen? All right, so look at verse nine. It says that the next day, as they were on their journey, that's the three men coming from Caesarea to Joppa and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour. So Peter goes up to Simon the Tanner's flat roof little area up there, a little cooler up there. He goes up to the flat roof at 12 p.m. to have his devotions. This is kind of cool because I'm always saying if you're a morning person, have your morning devotions. If you're a night person, have your night devotions. And it never, came, never really crossed my mind until this past week that maybe some of us need to have our devotions at 12 noon or maybe a couple times a day. However God leads you, make sure you're spending time with the Lord. And so Peter goes up on the housetop around the sixth hour, 12 noon, to pray. Verse 10, and he became, has this ever happened to you when you're having your devotions? He became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet. Everybody say great sheet. And I want you to imagine this now in your mind. A great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. You know, he's a good kosher Jew. There's no way he's gonna violate Leviticus chapter 11. He's not eating this, these unclean Animals. Verse 15, and the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And this, this vision, happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. 
Okay, so what in the world was this vision communicating to Peter? If you're taking notes, two important truths. Number one, with the coming of the new covenant, the old covenant with its dietary restrictions ended. <laughs> and I don't know how clearer I can be than that. In Mark chapter seven, verse 19, Mark tells us that Jesus declared all, everybody say all, all food clean. In 1 Timothy 4, 4, Paul told us that everything, please say everything, everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. That's why you pray before you eat. And my favorite, Hebrews chapter eight, verse 13, the author of Hebrews says, in speaking of the, the new covenant, that God makes the first covenant, the old covenant, listen to the word, obsolete. Okay, so everybody say obsolete. So ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how clear I can be, but the old covenant is obsolete. And the reason I'm getting so passionate here is because, listen, there are people on the internet and there are, there are Christians who do not rightly divide the word of truth and they're still under the law and they're gonna try to get you to join them in their misery and put you under the law, put you under a yoke of bondage. We're under the new covenant. We're in the dispensation of grace. Okay, so of course, Jewish believers in Jesus can continue to keep a kosher diet if they want to, and many do, but they no longer have to. Why? Because we're no longer under the law, we're under grace. So pass the pork chops, just pray over them. <laughs> just make sure you pray over them. The second truth this vision communicated was number two, the unclean, when I say unclean, I'm talking about ceremonially unclean, I'm talking about Leviticus chapter 11, you can read it later, I'm talking about the diets of the Jews who were under the old covenant. The unclean animals on the sheet, Acts chapter 10 in the vision of Peter, the great sheet, represented the who, you tell me? The Gentiles who God wanted to cleanse through the sacrifice of Christ. And so if you're brand new to the Bible, you say, what's a Gentile? A Gentile is if you're not a Jew. So if you are not a Jew and you are a Gentile, please raise your hand. I'll raise my hand too. So good news that God wanted to cleanse us through the sacrifice of Christ. And by the way, there was clean and unclean animals on that sheet. And so God wants to cleanse everybody through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice in verse 16 that the great sheet was taken up to heaven. Did you see this in verse 16? Look at it again, please. Acts 10, verse 16. This vision happened three times and the thing, the great sheet, was taken up at once to where? Heaven. And so the fact that the sheet that was filled with unclean animals was taken up to heaven signifies that God is calling even the Gentiles to receive eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is why this is a beautiful story. This is why I love Acts chapter 10. It's because it's a crucial chapter that shows us that God so loved the world, that God so loves everybody, that he wants everybody to walk through the open door of eternal life. In this dispensation of grace, 
that we're in right now. Anybody and everybody can turn to Jesus Christ in faith and his blood will cleanse them of all their sins. And like the animals on the great sheet that went up into heaven, so we who have been cleansed by the blood can look forward to going to heaven up there in the future. That's good news. There was a precious, precious lady in our fellowship for years. And this past week, she went to heaven. She used to sit right out there where you guys sit. And now she's in the arms of Jesus. Now she's in the new Jerusalem. Now she's there. Her faith has become sight. And so the beautiful grace of God to the Gentiles displayed here in Acts chapter 10. Now most of us here, as I already said, are Gentile believers. And that means that Peter's vision right here in Acts chapter 10 has to do with us. Because the unclean animals, if you missed it the first time, the unclean animals on the great sheet represent us. Okay, so listen to the word of God. Listen to Acts chapter 10, verse 13. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. Here it is. What God has made clean, do not call common. What does that mean? That means that if you, even if you're a Gentile, if you belong to Jesus, you're not common, you're special. You're not common, you're special. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you have been cleansed by the blood of the lamb and you are a child of God. Stop calling yourself common. You're not common. You're special. I want you to think for just a moment about what the scriptures say about you if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, then God the Father, before he created the world, God the Father, before he fashioned the material universe, before any of that, he knew you, he thought about you, he loved you, and he chose you to be his son or daughter. That's good news. We all should be clapping and thanking God right now. My goodness. We clap and jump up and down in our living rooms when our team scores a touchdown. We can surely clap and thank God that we're among the elect, chosen of God, all by his grace. <laughs> and not only did the Father choose us before he created the world, the Son came, God became flesh, and God hung on a cross and paid for your sin and my sin in full and rose again the third day. All your sins washed in the blood of the Lamb. And not only that, Whenever it was that you turned to Christ, the Holy Spirit came and he sealed you until the day of redemption. Not only that, if I haven't said it enough yet, but this is an illustration of unclean animals being cleansed by God. Not only that, all, please say all, all your sins, past, present, future, have been washed away in the blood and you have been justified by faith. The word justified means, don't anybody lie to you, the word justified means to declare righteous. 
And so whenever that was that you turned to Jesus Christ as your only hope, as your Savior, as your Lord, at that moment, God the Father looked at you and said, I declare you righteous, not because you're so good, but because my son is so good. In fact, I'm gonna take the righteousness of my son and I'm gonna clothe you in his righteousness and now when I look at you, I don't see your sin, I see the righteousness of my son. You are perfect in Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what God has done for us. Man, God loves you so much, every hair on your head has been numbered. And when you combed your hair this morning, he reduced the number down. That's how much he loves you. You say, God doesn't, oh, God's impersonal. God doesn't even see me. Oh, no. He is madly in love with you. He's counted the hair on your head. Stop believing the lies of the devil. God is not against you. He's for you. And he's promised never to leave you or forsake you. You see, a lot of people are just looking at me like I've never heard anything like this before. Well, here's why. Because we live in a fallen culture that's filled with pleasure and filled with me and filled with whatever I want to do. And, and, and nobody's talking about this. And yet this is the treasure, this is the grace, this is the gift that God has given us. And all we need to do is open the book and read it for ourselves and know who we are in Christ. And so when we're suffering from the blues and we're depressed and we're discouraged, what we do then is we have enough sense to go up on the rooftop and open our Bibles and start believing what God says about me is true. I'm not common. I am special in Christ. Peter, don't you dare ever call what God has cleansed common. Verse 17 says, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed, okay, we'll give him a break. He's a Jewish man and He's kosher, and this is his culture, and so he doesn't get all this unclean animals being cleansed. He's gonna get it. But while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that, had, that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate, verse 18, and called out, to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit, aren't you glad the Spirit speaks? Do you believe the Spirit still speaks today? The Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? Verse 22, and they said, Cornelius, a centurion. Okay, so right there, Peter's gotta be getting a little nervous because <laughs> here he is. There's three Gentiles outside the gate. One of them is a Roman soldier and they're talking about their master who's a leader of 80 to 100 Roman soldiers. Okay, so maybe he's a little nervous, I don't know. But it says in verse 22, they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, okay, Peter can relax a little bit, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. And so scandal of scandals, look at this. Verse 23, he, Peter, a Jew, invited them, three Gentiles, in to be his what? What? That didn't happen. Remember the dividing wall? 
And so the next day, Peter arose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And so this would be a very troubling story in the first century for Jews for at least two reasons. Number one, Peter staying at a tanner's house. That would be frowned upon by his Jewish friends because the Jews considered tanners to be ceremonially unclean because they worked with the skins of dead animals. So what are you doing there? That house, Peter, what are you doing now? But not only that, this would be troubling to the Jews in the first century because number two, Peter invited these three Gentiles into the home where he was staying. He slept either in the same room or down the hall from Gentiles. And the next day he packs his bag and he leaves with these Gentiles. That would be frowned upon since the Jews did not fellowship with the Gentiles. Now, in spite of all this, you need to know that God is working. God is kicking down that dead gum wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. God is saying enough of this cultural and racial prejudice. I've come for everybody. And so God is in it and God's gonna prove that he's in it by giving Peter confirmation. That leads you to your next point. If you're taking notes, God gave Peter, everybody say the next word which prepared him to go with Cornelius' men. And so in verses 10 through 16, again, Peter sees the vision of the sheep with unclean animals who represent the Gentiles, preparing him to interact with Gentiles. A little later on, the Holy Spirit says to him, I want you to go with these men. Again, preparing him for interaction with the Gentiles. Then we see in verse 23, then he packs his bag and he goes to Caesarea. My point is this, God gave Peter confirmation, which prepared him to go with Cornelius's men. But what if God did not give him confirmation? What if God did not give Peter a vision of a sheet with unclean animals? What if God did not, by the Spirit, speak to him and tell him to go? How would Peter have responded to three Gentiles who are knocking at the gate, saying, we want you to come, in, uh, come with us, Peter? I mean, um, imagine this. Imagine Peter, he hears his voice, Peter, Peter, yes, Simon, there's some visitors down at the gate for you, okay. Now imagine if he had not received any confirmation from God. He comes down and he looks and there's three Gentiles and a Roman soldier standing outside the gate. And so he walks up to the gate and the Roman soldier says, are you Peter? Yes. Well, our master, a centurion, and Peter's like backing up a little bit. Our master, a centurion, had a vision of an angel and the angel said he wants you to come with us. And Peter would have said, one minute, and he would have went back in the house and been out the back door lickety-split. There's no way if God did not give him confirmation that he would have gone with these Gentiles. But God gave him confirmation. Ladies and gentlemen, please get this. Please get this point. God gives confirmation to prove that he is leading you. And the reason that you got to get this point is because there's people out there who want to manipulate you. Have you ever heard this line? Someone walks up to you. God told me to tell you. God told me to tell you that you're supposed to thus and so. 
Hey, if anybody ever uses that line on you, just say something like this. Hey, I, I really appreciate you sharing, but I think God's big enough that if he's really leading, he can give me confirmation. He gave Peter the vision. He spoke to Peter and said, go with them. God works at both ends, up in Caesarea with Cornelius and down in Joppa with Peter. Okay, and so if anybody ever tries to do that to you in this church, please, this is one of the reasons we have pastors and elders in this church, because we're called by God. We are responsible to watch for your souls. You are the sheep, we are the under shepherds. Jesus is the good shepherd. And if there's anybody trying to spiritually manipulate you, you've gotta let us know so that we can, in love, intervene. And we will intervene. And so God always gives confirmation. You gotta be careful. There's a lady that I know who told me when she was 18 years old, the guy that she was dating fell for her and wanted to marry her. But there was a problem. The feelings weren't mutual. She was dating the guy, but she didn't wanna marry him. And so when he started getting the drift that the feelings are not mutual and that she does not want to spend the rest of her life with him, he decided to use spiritual manipulation on her. 18 years old, he went to her and said, God told me that I am supposed to marry you. And I'm so grateful that this 18 year old, and by the way, 18 year olds can have a deep walk with God. And I'm so glad that this 18 year old was able to look him in the eye and say, well, you know what? If God is really leading, I think he's big enough to tell me that because she understood the principle that God always gives confirmation if he's really leading. And I'm so glad that she responded that way because later I heard that she started dating and fell in love and married another guy. She made that guy really happy. Look at verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea and Cornelius expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down, uh-oh. Cornelius fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, house filled with Gentiles just like the sheet coming out of heaven. And he said to them, this is Peter speaking to Gentiles, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Remember the wall we talked about? But God, I love the times in the New Testament where it says, but God. It's always followed by good news. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Praise God, Peter. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why have you sent for me? How wonderful that the racial and cultural barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles was now starting to crumble. God's kicking down that wall. Listen to this in the church. And it all started with Peter's confession. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. This is so beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's ever gonna be racial, real racial reconciliation in our nation, it's got to start in the church. 
the church. Look around, look how beautiful this room is, filled with people from all different cultures, with all different colors of skin. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. There is no wall. And ladies and gentlemen, please check your heart. If you're over here and you're saying, I'll stay over here as long as you stay over there, you got a problem, man. You need to repent. Because listen, God says, don't call any person common or unclean. Don't look down your nose at anybody, ever. Everybody, as I've said and said and said and said and said, everybody has been created by God and everybody, whether they're saved or lost, everybody has been created in the image of God. So be very careful with how you treat people. Are we gonna disagree with people? Yes, of course, always. Does truth divide? Yes, of course, always. But Jesus said, love your enemies. <coughs> and so we gotta be careful. I gotta be careful, I'm gonna fall over dead here. <laughs> we gotta be careful how we treat people. Watch your tone, check your heart. Don't get all emotional about issues, especially issues that are not biblical. And remember, Christ is number one, and we are to treat everybody with love and respect. Amen or oh me, okay. So look at verse 30, and Cornelius said, four days ago, Peter, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, an angel, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. And so I sent for you at once. And you have been, look, look at this, look at this attitude, okay? He's a centurion, he's an occupied Israel. He's there to keep peace in Israel and to rule over the Jews. And yet look at what this leader of leaders, this Roman centurion, look at how nicely he speaks. Let me say that again, how nicely he speaks to the Jew, Peter, verse 33. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Wow. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So I want you to picture it in your mind's eye. Peter walks in, there's a house filled with Gentiles. And they're all like, Peter, we're here, speak to us. This is what you call an open door. <laughs> Peter's about to run through it. It says in verse 34, so Peter, look at this, opened his mouth. Again, you can live the Christian life. Praise God, keep living the Christian life. But at some point when God opens that door, you need to talk, speak. Don't be ashamed, don't be embarrassed. Jesus changed my life, here's why. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in how many nations? Every. Every nation. Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. 
And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that, the apostles, we're witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. In other words, they nailed him to the cross for our sins. Verse 40, but God, here's the gospel. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. But God, fact, 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 raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. There's over 500 of them, by the way who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach. By the way, thank you for allowing me to do what I do. I love preaching. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, look at this, all the prophets, all the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, bear witness that everyone who believes in him, please say believes, Believes. receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I love that Peter was faithful, listen to this, to the true gospel. Instead of sharing the bad news of meritorious works, Peter shared the good news of salvation through Christ, through faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. Listen to this, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But what if the Judaizers were there? If you ever heard of the name Judaizer, please raise your hand, let me see your your, your hand. Okay, a few of you. The Judaizers, for those of you who don't know, were Jews in the first century who said, it's fine if you wanna believe in Jesus, great, believe in Jesus, but if you wanna be saved, you need to believe in Jesus and beware of the and telling you, this is huge. If you want to be saved, believe in Jesus and keep the law of Moses. And by the way, the apostle Paul later in history will bomb blast them in the book of Galatians, these Judaizers. But what if the Judaizers were there that day in this room, this house filled with Gentiles? They would have said, okay, Peter, it's really nice that you said believes in him will receive forgiveness, but, but all you Gentiles, here's what you need to do. If you really wanna be saved, it's fine, you believe in Jesus, but then you also need to be circumcised. And so Benjamin is in the back room with a knife. All the guys make a line. If you really want to get saved, this is what you need to do. And while you're doing that over there, all you ladies, open up your Bibles to Leviticus 11, and we're going to show you what you can cook and what you can't cook for your men at home. Listen, if that was the news that they gave, that would have been the bad news of religion, not the good news of the gospel of grace and the dispensation of grace that we live in today. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so thank God for men like Peter who stand up and say, Christ, who is Lord of all, came. And he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He went about doing good, delivering people from the power of the devil. And he died on the cross for our sins. He rose again the third day. We saw him. We ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. By the way, you can't eat and drink with a spirit. The cults will say, oh yeah, Jesus came out of the grave in in an ethereal spirit. That's a heresy. The orthodox 
tenet of the Christian faith is that Christ bodily arose. The same body that was crucified is the body that came out of that grave, glorified, immortal, and eternal, but it's the same body that ate and drank with them and they saw him. And so we saw him, we ate and drank with him. He's gonna come again. He's gonna judge the living and the dead. And verse 43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so what does Peter do? Peter just preaches the simple gospel message. And when they believed, the spirit did the rest. We'll finish the chapter and we'll be done. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out, look at this, even on those Gentiles, <laughs> they're freaking out. Verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues. They're, they're, they're extolling God in different languages, just like Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. Gentiles. And then Peter declared, well, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be what? Baptized. After they believed, do you see that? They believed first, then they were baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ, and then they asked him to remain for some days. I'm sure he discipled them for a while. And so as Peter is preaching and teaching the gospel, the true gospel of grace through faith in Christ, they believe while they're sitting in their seats. Ladies and gentlemen, there was no choir singing just as I am. There was no, no people walking down the altar. There was no one standing up or raising their hand. I'm not saying I'm against any of that at all. But what I'm saying is that when they were sitting in their seats, they believed that Christ is my only hope of salvation. I need you, Jesus. Forgive me. And man, bam, the Holy Spirit came and sealed them into the day of redemption. And then here's their public profession of faith. After that, they got baptized. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you come to the place where you know he's my savior, he's my Lord, he's my only hope. Have you been baptized since you believed? <laughs>